To anyone who can hear this broadcast, this is the Armitage account. Isaac Andrews, September 6th, 2022, 2200 hours. I am back in the room. Lou was kind enough to bring me here a second time, but I definitely feel like I am imposing. So Lou, thank you. Felix and I are still trying to figure out exactly what this place is. He's looking through old library records and I'm... Well, I'm here. I wonder if my mother ever found this place. Let's see what we can find. Uh, Isaac Andrews, September 6th, 2300 hours. There's a lot here. Uh, Books, newspapers, letters, and countless more mundane documents like project reports, business plans... There must be hundreds, if not thousands, of documents total. Every one that I begin to read, I can feel myself being almost uh, drawn into them. It's as if I have to read them. Uh, I'm currently holding a book titled The Book of Aboth. Aboth? Aboth. It's large, bound in red leather with gold gilded edges and a rather giant buckle fastened around the front. It's old. I guess it's a Bible. It looks like a Bible. But what drew me here was not the book itself, but rather the note attached to it. It reads, Understand on a fresh piece of notebook paper. Seems like my fan has been here recently. Let's see if they are helpful this time. The walkers congregated in a city known as Independence, named appropriately for their pilgrimage. They sought life without tyranny. They sought life without scarcity. And though they did not know it yet, they sought a life without remembrance. My memory is hazy and unreliable, but I do not believe I sought this out. I think I was a detective, a Pinkerton. It is strange reading the events of your life in your own hand, yet having no memory of it. Even in these final moments, I do not know where my life begins and where hers ends. I only know that she knew the truth. I believe it was a heist that took me here. Gold had been stolen from an unguarded shipment the size of a small treasury. My job was simple. Find the gold and bring back those who were responsible. Leads then led here to the trail, a perfect place for a gang of thieves to vanish. Thieves who I was certain were somewhere amongst the caravan. It was a large troop maybe a hundred people from all walks of life. 
There was religious groups, some Protestant sect that would walk the trail to get to their promised land. There was a community that did not speak English except for small broken phrases. Finally, there were the mercenaries, men with no families, their faces covered in battle scars with proudly displayed weapons at their hips. They seemed to have been hired by someone in the caravan to protect them over the course of the journey. They were, of course, my primary suspects. Lastly, I believe I wasn't working alone. Apparently, I had a partner. I think we were friends. I think I might have loved him, actually. It's hard to say if you loved someone when you have no living memory of them, when you cannot conjure a face or a voice. Only words written on a page by a you long forgotten and a horrible absence in your soul when you try to remember a life that does not exist. I know from my logbook that we at least posed as husband and wife. When we met Robert Moore, the guide for this trip, I introduced myself as Barry and my partner as William. I do not know if those were our real names. My role was to be unseen. The young lady you would never suspect to be listening to your most private of conversations or rummaging through your deepest of secrets. This was not to say that I needed William for protection. On the contrary, I am a surgeon with my pistol. William was to be a distraction while I did my work. That night, we had our first encounter with a member of the congregation. We were placed between a German family and a couple from the church. I know the German family were the Schillings, Reginald, Emma, and their little ones, Anna and Lena. They were good people. The church couple, though, Albert and Selena, they were different. They were seemingly only interested in one thing, conversion. Have you heard of the one God? Selena, a bright-eyed woman, asked Emma and myself while we set up camp that first night. Yes, I have been a Christian all my life, I replied. Yes, but do you know of the one God? The bringer of light and dark, the Lord of all? I raised an eyebrow, annoyed. No, I guess I haven't, I relented. I knew better than to try and push back too hard against these kinds of people. Why don't we drop into one of your services sometime and hear what your preacher has to say? Father, Selena interjected. Father Goodwill. Yes, your father, I mean. Selena grinned from ear to ear. He will be doing a service tonight, if you wouldn't mind. Emma, you should bring your children. I am sure they have a lot to learn. After camp was set up, we all made our way to Father Goodwill's carriage. I was surprised to find not only the majority of the caravan in attendance, but that the mercenaries were all there as well. This would have meant 
that no one was guarding their carriage. Then there was the sound of a flute, shrill and high-pitched. All eyes floated to the man who played it. He was old and gray, but stood tall and wore robes as white as the sun. He held a rigid instrument made of ivory to his lips. Somehow, it sounded both beautiful and intrusive. Like the melody demanded all of you. Like you had heard it before, but you knew you never had. He lowered the flute and looked at us all. May the Lord of all dream of us in his blissful sleep. May he bring us light and save us from darkness. And may we find the trail between causality and fate. This statement was solemn on his lips. A prayer that I did not recognize. He let out another trill from his pipe. A blessing to all! His arms flew wide in greeting to his congregation. I am so thankful to see new additions to our flock this evening. May the dreamer bring favor to you all. Hold on just a moment, a voice cried out from the crowd. He was tall and dirty, with his arms folded and pistol proudly displayed. Father Goodwill raised an eyebrow. Now, Mr. McGath, see, we all worship the same God. He raised a leather Bible in the air with a large buckle strapped upon it. Just our way of worshiping them is a little different. We simply believe in peace for all, that God is at the center of all things including you. If you're preaching peace, then why do you bring us along? His voice was filled with white-hot hate. Yet, there was a cold fear that rang through both his words and his men. I could conclude that he was the mercenary troop's leader. Now that is the question, Goodwill exclaimed as I quietly slid into the camp and towards the mercenary's carriage. I heard Father Goodwill's voice fade as I reached my quarry. In the first carriage, there were several large lockboxes, each just the right size to hide gold. So, I took out my lockpicks and began to work. The lock was old, stubborn even. In the background, I could just hear McGath yelling and cursing at Goodwill. Then there was booing from the congregation, and then the sound of footsteps. Knowing my time to be up, I gritted my teeth and simply slammed the lock with the picks inside. To my surprise, the lock opened, and inside was gold. Bricks and bricks of gold. They were close now, but that's all I needed. I just closed the chest and left without a sound. When Williams watched display at 3 a.m., we moved. Under the cover of night, we drew our guns and chains and made our way to McGath's camp. It was when his carriage came into view that it happened. A shrill sound cut through the night air, one that rang in my skull as if it were a great bell. It was then that we first forgot. At least that is when I think. We first forgot. Suddenly, I was standing with William in the middle of an encampment, weapon drawn, 
staring at an empty campsite that I did not recognize. Barry, which one is it? William asked me. I stared ahead dumbly. I remembered finding the gold, but I couldn't remember where I found it. Um, not sure, I replied. I walked forward, trusting my instincts, but nothing stood out as part of our investigation. I sighed and took out my log as if admitting defeat. When I glossed over the page before me, I fell into a befuddlement. Along with the day's events, I read of a group I never recalled encountering. William, I croaked. Does the name McGath mean anything to you? Not a thing, Barry. I closed the journal. It was absurd. Why would I write about a troop that does not and never did exist? We returned to our camp that night in an unspoken confusion and disappointment. I did not let William know of my log, as I believed it would have shaken his opinion of me more than my failure already had. We awoke to the sound of the flute the next day and began our hunt again. Our memories were different this time. At this point, we thought that our primary suspect was, and always had been, the Church of Light and Dark and their enigmatic leader, Father Goodwill. We realized that half the caravan was now our adversaries. What we didn't understand was our own carelessness. Why did we even enter the caravan? We could have handled this mess free at Independence. William and I decided that we would talk to Robert Moore. I told him everything, but it helped that there was a hefty bounty involved. Moore divulged that Goodwill had additional directions for him. He was instructed to stray from the trail before Fort Kearney so that Goodwill could take his followers on their sacred pilgrimage. For a third of the bounty, Moore figured that he could mislead them, keep them on the trail a little longer. Then on the night of the third day, William and I could ride out ahead to the fort and round up those statesmen for backup. It wasn't a great deal, but we were low on options. We shook on it. But before I left, I wanted to confirm something. Moore had a registry book of everyone who was in the caravan. The name McGath was not there. I debriefed with William, and we decided to spend the next couple of days doing our best to learn about the cult. Thanks to Moore, I would be able to go about my search at a more leisurely pace. I could log everything and avoid mistakes. William could sweet-talk his way into learning some of the cult structure. I, of course, would still converse with the cult. Selena made sure of that. She would constantly blab about their teachings, the great storm of causality. Even though she said they worshipped the same god as us and from the same book, I was convinced they had major addendums to the holy scripture. We were taught that the Lord worked in mysterious ways, that God was supposed to be beyond our understanding. In civilized, sane circles, this was a way of excusing God for the horrors of the world and unjust things that no good soul could ever wish upon another. But to Selena and the flock, this was not an excuse, but a calling. She worshipped 
chaos. I could hear the father's flute trilling in the background as she talked to me on our third morning. She stared at Anna and Lena as they played. Now why do you think God gives his children? I rolled my eyes. Does it have something to do with great storms? No. It's a gift given by luck. Book says that those who find what they seek only do so out of luck, and those who find misfortune do so by the same principle. So you think your religion will bring you children? She looked back at me, trying and failing to hide a scowl. I do, she said as she looked back to the girls as they played under the watchful gaze of their parents. My face fell. The entire church of light and dark unnerved me, but Selena was different. She seemed more hungry than the others. She should have been nowhere near those children. What I don't understand is why we're still traveling north. My heart sank. If she noticed, then there was no way that Father Goodwill had not I excused myself and ran to Moore to warn him. What I could tell that I was too late. Father Goodwill stood there with folded arms and a face stern and cold as iron. This is not our expected route to Moore, he chided. There have been bandits just south of this road. We stay on the trail, we might be able to avoid them. Moore, my instructions were very clear. We follow my map due west. It is necessary for this pilgrimage. So is not being gutted by bandits. Goodwell stared into him. In one fluid motion, he pulled out his leather-strapped Bible and wrote, Robert Moore, he proclaimed, I take your name and all that you are and bind it to the veil between dreams. When you hear the servitor screams, you will only exist in the knowledge of God. Dwena, Nyatrop, He closed his aged tome and looked towards the man that stood there. You may go now, Robert. Moore just stared at him for a long time with befuddlement and disgust before he finally walked away. Doddard, he cursed under his breath. I wrote it all down. Something about this must have startled me. Something about the curse he laid on Moore. Something about where Goodwill wanted to go. Yet, it wasn't until later that day when we stopped for lunch that it truly began to go wrong. A loud cry like the wail of a banshee rang from the front of the caravan. Many of us began to move there in alarm. William was at my side as we came to the perceived commotion. Instead, we were met by Selena and several others the church. Well, isn't this wonderful? She smiled. We're just gathering the rest of our traveling companions. Father Goodwill has a message for us all. The following is mostly conjecture from what I remember and what I recovered. All were brought to him by the gentle hands of his flock, wolves herding sheep. It's a merry day! He exclaimed. For all who have gathered here have been given a true blessing, the blessing of choice. 
The choice to continue being a slave to chance in the ever-turbulent waves of causality, or the choice to follow the trail to true freedom, prosperity, and enlightenment. May the dreamer bring favor to you all. May the dreamer bring favor to us all, his followers, and even some of the immigrants echoed. Today we veer off the path to Oregon, to our promised land instead. To the west of the Star of Azoth, at the center of this land, we will meet God themself. There was another cheer, but this time, I think there were fewer agreeing voices. I looked to William. In that moment, we were stuck with the same question. What were we going to do? My whole plan hinged on going to Fort Kearney. How were we supposed to go there if Father Goodwill was taking us off the path? Didn't I have a plan to make this happen? I took out my log and glanced down at the most recent entry. Who the hell was Robert Moore? This was wrong, all wrong. This had always been a troop led by Father Goodwill. It was the church at the start who took these immigrants and travelers and promised them safe passage to Oregon. It was Goodwill who greeted us the first day and shook our hands. It was Goodwill who assured me we were going to continue to Fort Kearney. All I ask of you is to help with this choice. Only when all of us agree will we move from this spot. I ask all who agree, say aye, and those who don't, nay. It was then that it struck me in a wave of nausea. It was a hunch, but I would know instantly. I could see all the cultists as they rose and shouted in agreement. Even many of the Germans joined in. William looked at me frantically. I locked eyes with him. Trust me, I asked. He nodded. I, I shouted as I raised his hand. I, he echoed. I, I, I. There was a silence, and bile rose in my stomach. There was not a single nay. And now I knew it was because no one on God's earth could remember anyone who said it. When natural asshole. Once again, there was a screech, except this time I could see where it came from. It was Goodwell's flute. The eyes have it, he rejoiced. I now know that I do not remember him listing the names of all the naysayers before binding them to this thing. I now know that I do not remember him doing so because it would have been part of them, who they were. But I did not understand why, if I wrote whatever happened down, why I could keep some record of the truth. We began to move shortly after. We took Goodwell's lead, as we always had, with the party that had always been as we carted off and away behind Selena's carriage, William turned to me and asked, Barry, what the actual hell have you gotten us into? I don't know. The caravan moved forward towards certain doom. I grabbed him by the hand. William, what I'm going to say is going to sound crazy.
I think Father Goodwill is making us forget people. He looked at me, eyebrow raised. I produced the log. Read it and tell me. In all of our years together, have I ever lied to you? He took it in hand and his eyes skimmed the pages. I knew that any other man would have assumed that I had gone mad. I would have been locked up for hysteria. They would say that being a woman doing a man's work had rotted my brain. William was not one of those men. No one said nay, he said as he lifted his gaze to meet mine. We kill him, he said quietly. Tonight. I logged everything about that day. The shock of it all, the realization, but what I am most glad for is that I wrote that he believed me. I wish I had written so much more. How I knew him, what he was to me. I know he was more than my partner, but I do not know what we had. I know this because now when I try to remember my own life, there is so much that is empty in his absence. And I will never know what. I can guess what happened that night. That he and I tried to go through with our plan. That we snuck into Goodwill's campsite, guns in hand. Maybe we killed one. Maybe we killed hundreds. All that I know is that we didn't kill Goodwill. That William was most likely caught and I wasn't. And horribly that they must have figured out why we were there. When the sound of Goodwell's flute brought me back to lucidity dozens of yards away from all of this, not only did I not remember William, but I had no idea why on this godly earth I was holding a gun in the first place. I returned to my camp, my head hazy. I gripped onto my log, knowing it was important, but not why. As I opened it to read, I was met by a smile and soft, warm hands. It was Selena. It's late, darling. Why don't you let me have that book and you get some shut-eye? We got a long day of travel ahead. I closed my eyes and fell asleep as my salvation left my hands. I gladly made the trek with Selena and her children, Anna and Lena. It made sense. A single woman like myself should not have been alone. The church had been kind to me. They took me in to make the trip to Oregon. And now they were including me in their most holy rite, their pilgrimage to meet God himself. It was weeks through the wild till we reached the mountains. In that time, I had risen in rank with the Church of Light and Dark. I had proven myself a rider, hunter, and fighter. During the trip, I had staved off bandits with my pistol, saving Selena and Anna's life. All this is to say, though they may have had an idea of who I was in my past, they made use of me and kept me armed. Every day we moved, Goodwill played his food, and we made it safely to our resting point. Even as we approached the base of the final mountain, we were still our full three dozen strong. We rest here tonight, 
Father Goodwill shouted to us from atop his carriage. Draw my flock, we make merry, for tomorrow we meet God and become his disciples. What followed was wonderful. We laughed and drank and sang deep into the night. At one point while I sat, Anna and Lena approached me, jumping up and down. Story, story, they chanted as they held an old raggedy book up to me. Selena had been telling them stories to help with their English. It was so kind of her to adopt the two German girls. I looked to Selena, but she was passed out in her cart. There was no chance she was going to be reading that night. Okay, hand it here, I smiled. The book immediately felt familiar in my hands. As I opened it, I recognized my own handwriting, but the words. I turned to the children. This is a little difficult for even me to read little ones. How about I tell you the story of the spider? Once they fell asleep, I began to pore over my newly rediscovered log. I told myself that it was fiction I wrote, but how could I have forgotten writing it? Yet when I read of William, part of me began to wonder what it would have been like if it was real. I knew there was no point in keeping it when our journey would be over so soon. I would have no need for earthly possessions then. Yet, I tucked it deep into my belongings and tried to sleep. The next morning we awoke slowly. There was no flute, nor was there the usual hubbub of the morning packing. Instead, we each grabbed only what we needed to keep warm on the trip upwards. Driven by the same feeling from the night before, I hid my log under my coat with my pistol. Denial and paranoia washed over me as I began to climb. I thought to myself that it had to have been my imagination that this was all just a silly figment of my mind, that nothing would come of it, and I would be happy with my newfound family at the end of the trail. The ascent was hard and full of peril. I don't know how many times Goodwell used his flute. I just knew that every time I heard it, I imagined that there was another Anna, another Lena, that I no longer remembered. And I began to notice how much Selena coveted them. I wondered if what I had written had been true. Would that make Selena a child thief or the adopted mother that I now saw? It was deep into the night when we finally arrived. I kept my head down as we climbed onto a landing that looks like it had been carved out of the mountain itself. Goodwill turned to us all. My children, our time has finally come, he said as he produced his buckled Bible and bony flute from his jacket. First, we must all have gifts for our God. Gifts of fortune and elemental purity. With that, I watched as he opened this horrid tome and laid it on the ground. He said words that were lost to me in the wind, and then lifted the flute to his mouth. Everyone there saw the first miracle of that night. Gold bars poured out of the book like water from a spout. I saw it as an abomination, as with the return of the gold bars, so was the return of my memory of why I was there. Rage filled me, 
in that moment. If the gold was real, then surely William was no fiction either. I could feel my pistol calling to me. I wanted to kill, but I now knew one other fact. Goodwell's curse could be undone. He looked upon us all. Everyone take one? They're heavy, but the trip shall be short. One by one, we each picked up a solid gold brick and formed a line by Goodwell's side. And then his flute blew a tremendous cry. It was as if thunder erupted from him. Lightning crashed in front of us into the mountain and a fissure opened in its wake. We looked ahead through the gap and we saw it. A blinding mass of chaos surrounded by stars and things, no, beings, that moved through space like water. The second miracle. The conjuring of God himself. Go forth, Goodwell shouted. I will only awaken them when we have all ascended. I put my hands into my jacket and gripped my pistol. My mind did its best to fathom what was in front of me. A mass of matter, both organic and inorganic, so baffling in scale and impossible in make that I could only tremble at its sight. Then, to my horror, I watched as the people first in line, Selina, with her two stolen girls, Anna and Lena, walked through the threshold. As they reached the other side, they began to float, and we all witnessed the third miracle. Enlightenment. We watched as each of them tried to scream, but no sound reached our ears. We watched as the gold bars in their hands began to warp and change, oblong and pipe-like. We watched as their features turned pale, their skin turned to rubber, and their bones became bulbous. Each of them swelled larger and larger until they looked gargantuan. Their bones melted outwards until they were squid-like in appearance. The monstrosities. No. Anna and Lena floated away towards God, each of them holding a golden flute that added to a symphony we could not hear. My scream was drowned out by the screams of the others. I watched as a German man in front of me scrambled back and threw himself off the mountain, Goodwill quelled the flock, and soon we were right back in our queue. He didn't even bother to erase the man who jumped. He was too close now for a distraction. I watched as one by one we marched into the gateway. Every last person that I could actually remember ascended before my eyes. Each one a horrid pale thing with a horrible golden flute. I could see Goodwill stood in front of me, arms stretched wide basking in the light of his horrible god. Our horrible god. I waited for the last victim to pass through before I held the pistol to the back of his head and shakily pulled the hammer. William, I managed to croak. Bring back William. There was a moment of silence. Then he lunged himself forward and dove for the gate. In my shock, I was slow to pull the trigger and missed his head. I fired twice more. The first went wide, and the other struck his hand and severed his fingers from the flute. No! He cried as it fell to the ground. He tried to reach it, but it was too late. He had already crossed the threshold.
His curses and yells were silent as he simply floated into space. No transformation, no enlightenment, not even a wink of cosmic recognition from God. I now sit here with my journal, the flute, and this detestable book. I have read it through and through, and no matter what, I can't understand it. I know that they are in here, though. Those who were bound, who I had forgotten, are in this book, his Bible. I see them. They talk to me. Even as I freeze on this landing, their words reach me, all competing for the attention and freedom that they crave. But they cannot help me, and I cannot help them. My thoughts now enter the pages of the scripture as a testament of what has happened here. This is not the means of any who have been lost or bound, nor is it by my own handwriting as I have long begun to die. This is by the means of something else in this tome, in the veil between dreams and causality. I believe he called it the trail. Okay, that was weird. Uh, I was very much expecting a religious text, but this passage was not that. Hmm. My mystery fan wants me to understand something. Understand what? Causality? Clearly, this book has some elements of historical fiction. I actually did an episode of Oddities of Yore about the Pinkertons. They were a private investigation group around this time, notable for hiring women and minorities. But they were also horrible union busters. They're actually still around, unfortunately still in the news. Come on, dude. Again? Felix! Uh, is it... Yes, it is morning. Yes, Louis pissed. And yes... You look like death. Sorry, sorry. I didn't think it would... Uh, these things, these books, they they just take a lot out of me. Yeah, because you're in a ghost library. A what? Check this out. I dug through the digital archives about the library. Turns out your supposed granddad... Great granddad? Whatever. Henry Armitage. It's pronounced Artimage. It's it's a whole thing, honestly. I was looking up through different pronunciations. Everyone seems to kind of come up on a different thing with this kind of name. It's not really used anymore, but... Hey. That's stupid. But okay. Henry Artimage wasn't just some head librarian. What are these? Letters and receipts, babe. Apparently your great-granddad went through hell to get as many books on the occult as possible. A history of Arkham and the occult? Thaumaturgy for everyday use? The Book of Aboth. This doesn't make sense. I've only read stories, not religious text. Isn't that a Bible? Yes. Uh, no. I don't know. Okay, but... Wait, there's more. Remember how Artemich died in that fire? All the books noted here were supposed to be put into the restricted section, and were only accessible by the big guy himself. But, 
the restricted section burned down. What? Yep. It was marked as lost, incinerated, burned to ash. And your old man Armitage? He was supposed to die here, in this room. Now the library's back from the dead. Boom. Ghost library. This is his personal collection? If he was supposed to die in this room, but it's still standing, doesn't that mean there's a massive hole in the 1939 fire? Maybe, but he's dead, Isaac. He has to be. I know, I know. Thanks, Felix. This was very helpful. You are welcome. Now, let's get you to bed, because you look awful. Yeah, sure. Um, Isaac Andrews, signing off. What are you doing? Oh, that, that recording thing. Okay. In order of appearance, this broadcast features Benjamin Collins as Isaac Andrews and Kenny Nguyen as Felix Lopez. This broadcast is under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution non-commercial share alike license and is produced and distributed by Scope Productions. You can follow us on Instagram at Armitage Account or our website armitageaccount.com where you can join the Discord server and learn more about our Patreon. Make sure the word is heard. Tell your friends and loved ones about this broadcast. Ensure their safety. Don't have any friends or loved ones? Or just want to spread the word? Then leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider.